0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're starting uh, Parshas Breshis, which is the the beginning of the Torah, and uh, this is always a, a big uh, a big event during the year because uh, you can balance <coughs> you can balance the entire Torah on the word Breshis, meaning with beginnings, and then you can balance the word Breshis on the base of Breishis, on the first letter of the word Breshis. So the, the, the whole Torah can really be balanced on this one word, and, and we're, we're beginning it, because everything is a microcosm within a microcosm, and the, the ultimate DNA, if you were to just isolate the initial sort of source of everything, you can see it right in the word breishis, and in the base of breishis. And some even say in the dot in the middle of the base of breishis. So, but I haven't got any more information about that. Um, but anyway... So I just wanted to tell you a story. There's a it's a, a, a rab that that, that with us on on uh, on Shabbos sometimes, and uh, he keeps himself sort of a little bit hidden and quiet. But anyway, we were about to make Kiddush, uh, and the the Kiddush cup got knocked over and it, it spilled on the table. And I turned to him and I, I said uh, that that it's a siman bracha, meaning to say, I, I had heard one time that. If you spill wine, uh, or grape juice, it's, you know, in terms of uh, Jewish philosophy, grape juice and wine is the same thing, um, that, it's, uh, that it's a sign of blessing. And he sort of gave me a quizzical look, and then I felt a little bit sort of like embarrassed, and I said to him, I, that's just what I heard, I, I don't have a source for it. And then, n- n- like, no sooner did I finish saying the word that, I don't have a source for that, that he said, it's a Gomorrah (laughs) Nervin. And I was stunned, A, to be validated, you know, that actually what I said was was legitimate, you know, I was happy about that. But two, that he had the exact source instantaneously. You know, I don't know if you ever notice, if you Google something, right in the upper, usually you're just looking at the links, but in the upper right-hand corner of the screen, it tells you how long it took. You know, it sort of shows off tells you how long it took to give you the answer. And it's usually like some denomination of less than a second. You know? So, so that's, that's what this was. And, and the reason, and then by the way, then I, I asked him more, I said, why is it a sign of blessing? And can you find it for me? And then later on, he showed it to me. It's, uh, it's on page Samith Hay, Ahmed Aleph, if you want to look it up, 65A. And it gives a, an explanation of, of why that's the case and everything like this. So, But there's a reason why uh, I want to tell you this, which is, you know, it's very important when you, when you, when you begin learning Torah and, 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 you, and you take it seriously to always reference your sources. And the reason why it's important to re- reference your sources is, A, so that people should, should, should see that they're credible and everything like that, but also who the source is and what the source is. And this is really the point that I want to make. Because this tells you, gives you a, a sense of what Torah is and what Torah study is. You see, it's not just an academic pursuit. The, the greater the source, the more holy and the more, it's beyond the word um, legitimate, the, the truer the teaching. The greater the source, the truer the teaching. And the more you can rely on it. Now, I still haven't made the point. Why do you need to know who said it? And, and, and why is there this correlation between, between who said it and, and how seriously to take the teaching? And the reason is because of the life that that person led. Because if that person really led a holy life, then you know that they were in, they were in touch with a level of inspiration and purity which emanated from really the highest levels of heaven, and so so there's this correlation, and this is really the point between the life one leads and the and and, and the holiness the, the the purity of the life one leads and. And the truth of their understanding of the Torah, as opposed to as opposed to one's level of genius, perhaps, and what they have to say about the Torah. In other words, you can have someone who could be whose IQ could be off the charts, and yet if they're not leading a, an elevated, very refined life as a source of Torah information. It's not considered a credible source, really. And that's, that's really... That, that's, that's dramatic. That's dramatic. Because, you see, we make a mistake. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. I've told it a hundred times, but I'm going to tell you again. So, I, I went to this, this program, just the, the beginning of it. I, I wasn't in Israel long enough to do the whole thing. It was called Israelite. And it was led by um, Rabbi David Aaron. And... As an, as an introductory class, because it's very sort of philosophically oriented, whatever level you're on, you can, you can get something out of it. But as an introduction, it's, it's fantastic. And they do programs during the year, and I, I highly, highly recommend them. It's Israelite, I-S-R-A-L-I-G-H-T. Bless you. Um, if you do Israelite, it, you'll get a Christian missionary uh, place. So that's why I'm spelling it for you. I-S-R-A-L-I-G-H-T. So um, so I go the first day, it's in the old city in Jerusalem, and someone raises, he says, he starts off the first class, he says, what's the Torah? And someone raises their hand and says, a book of history. He says, very good. And he writes down on the blackboard, a book of history. And then someone else raises their hand, he says, go ahead. And they say, a book of laws. He says, great. And he writes down a book of laws. And then I raise my hand, he says, go ahead. And I said, it's the infinite compressed into the finite. And he said, okay, let's hold off on that for a moment, right? So it's sort of like, that was like a little bit more advanced than he was ready to get into at that moment. But the point is, the point is that the Torah is absolutely endless. It's actually infinite. And one of the things that we're celebrating, I heard in the name of Rabbi Nachman, one of the things that we're celebrating with Parshas Vreshis is that the Torah itself is new, that, that what we're about to sort of like replunge into is a brand new Torah. It's the same Torah, but it's brand new. Because there's a new light in the world. A new light entered into the world on Rosh Hashanah. And that completely colors how we're going to understand the Torah. And, and also, we're different. We're new beings now. So, so you've got this interaction between a new Torah and new beings. And it's like, I always sort of flash on the imagery of a kaleidoscope. It's sort of like whatever the Torah was a moment ago, now we've turned and it's turned. So it's sort of like viewing the kaleidoscope of the Torah, which is now new, through the prism of yourself, which is also turned. So it's a it's a vision of newness through the lens of newness, if you will. Um, But the idea here is that the Torah is absolutely infinite. And we make a mistake, and here's the mistake that many people make. They think that, I'll understand the Torah, or maybe I don't understand the Torah, but if I were smarter, and if I were more diligent, and if I were holier, then I would completely understand the Torah. Then I would know everything. And the truth is, is that, that it's no, because it's infinite. It's actually infinite. It's actually infinite. So, it's you know you can, you can strive to be holier, and you can strive to be more diligent, and you can strive to increase your level of knowledge, and that will give you a greater grasp of the Torah. It will. But the Torah itself is, in fact, infinite, so that you'll never grasp the entirety of it. You'll never grasp the entirety of it. The basics, you'll get down. How to get through life, you'll get down. Amazing insights you'll get down. You might even be able to achieve Ruach HaKodesh and be able to achieve some sort of minor level of prophecy. You know, just amazing things. But the entirety of the Torah itself, you'll never get. You know, it's, you, you won't because it's infinite. And, and, and that shouldn't be discouraging. Like, oh, I'm never going to get the entirety of the thing anyway. It's sort of like, no, you mean that's what I'm involved in? I'm interacting with the infinite? I'm interacting with the will of God with the mind of god so to speak like that's the, that's the most exciting thing in the world so so let's uh let's get into you know i I, I met someone one time, and uh, this person was very ambitious and very ambitious in the sort of like the um the here and now sense, you know, in the, in, in the, in the business world sense. And I remember I had, was pretty new to this path, but was on it anyway. And we were kind of just talking. And um, she, she had gone to, I think, uh, just this like super top MBA program and was, you know, really getting ready to kind of try to conquer the business world. But hadn't, you know, that, that was her focus. And it just seemed to me that, that the canvas of Torah, like this, the, 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 our frame of reference, it's like, okay, so, so maybe you get to be vice president of Intel, right? Or you're like, you know, Learning Torah from God himself in the highest spheres of heaven. It's like, you know, like maybe a, it just, it just seems to me that if someone truly wants to be ambitious, you know, and I'm not knocking ambition, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to widen the scope of of what it means to be truly ambitious. Why would you want to stop at this life or this world? Like, if you, want to, if you want to conquer, you know, so to speak, or achieve, why not conquer this world and the next world? Why not, why not conquer mortality itself? Why not, why not transcend all physicality and materialism? And there's no contradiction in terms of leading an, an, an exceptionally accomplished life in this realm, while you're doing it are you doing it, you know, the, 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 the tragedy, but the, the tragedy which yields a, an opportunity is the fact that, that, that the Jewish people right now are in a, a tremendous rebuilding state. We have not nearly recovered from what the Holocaust did. You know, the, the, the levels of learning. Do you know, I heard from Reb Shlomo, and this is a thousand percent true, the levels of learning in, in Poland that were going on, do you have any concept of what was going on in, in, in say, the 1930s, for instance, or the 1920s? And, and just to give you one, one example, you had people, you had like, um, uh, like, um, like factories, I guess it would be, and you'd have lines and lines of, 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 of workstations, and there would be men sitting by sewing machines... Making making clothing, right? And they'd be doing that all day. And then, this is true, you'd have at the, the beginning of where all those workstations were, a man learning Talmud out loud, so that all day long, while they were sewing, they were going through shops. They were going through the entire Talmud. These were men who made their living as seamstresses, Tailors, You had the exact same thing going on with shoemakers. Rows and rows of workstations where people were hammering on shoes all day. And at the beginning of their work environment, you had a man sitting, learning the Talmud out loud with Rashi and Tosfos and and everything like that. And they were going through Shas. They were going through the whole Talmud while they were hammering on shoes all day. And these people weren't the rabbis. <laughs> these weren't the rabbis. This was the rank and file. Do you have any idea what the Holocaust did? What the Holocaust wiped out? Who these people were? It's like we're, we're, we're lucky to know the Olive Bays. Now, if you know Olive Bays, you're like a, a scholar today. So we're rebuilding But you know that's 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 the, and then if you look at the state of Israel, what's going on with that? It's it's like it's it's mind-boggling in like sixty years, approximately, what Israel has has done. How basically the 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 leaders of of just about the leaders of high tech in the world, just it's, it's it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Out of the ashes the opportunity that, 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 that's born from this crisis for, for, for all of us is that anything that you do is going to be a significant accomplishment. Any, anything that you do, literally anything that you do, is going to be a major addition to our people and to the world. Anything. I, I mean, that's the tragedy. It's, it's, it's almost comical. It's almost comical that, that I really mean anything You know, if you just imagine any of you who know um, football, American football, you know what it's like if you have the football and there's no guards in front of you, right? Like that's like the most exciting moment if you're a football fan is when when the when the the player has a football and he's running and there's no one in front of him. That it doesn't happen too often. That's like wow, and you just like man, you just book. And every you know every step that you're running, you're closer to the to the goal line. But that's that is the climate spiritually speaking for us right now. Each one of us has the football, and there's no one guarding. And it's like you can just run whatever you do. That's like okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So so I want to get back to gracious. and. Um, and, and I'm saying all this, hopefully just that, you know, it's sort of like, the, the way, the way I, I, I think of it sometimes, have you, ever, have you ever been to, say, a sporting event, or say a concert, or something like this, and you, um, and, and the concert ends, and then you look for your car, you get in your car, and it's sometimes another 40 minutes before you can actually get out onto the freeway or the road. Because everything is just like... Did you ever hear the, um, the expression, bummer to bummer? Right? Everything is like... <laughs> everything's bumper to bumper. It's like no one's moving, right? So... And then sometimes you can't even find your car. Right? So that, that, adds, that adds another who knows how long to your, to your thing. So, to me, that's this, this point in the year. It's sort of like... Alright, we just went through the holidays... It's like the concert's over, so to speak. It's like Parsha's gracious. We're reading about the beginning right now. It's sort of like, now time to implement all your resolves. Now just go achieve. Just run. Do. Do. Achieve. Score. And it's sort of like there are people who are just saying, now, was I in section C or section D? And they're going to be wandering around for the next three, four, five months in the year. You know, and then sort of like, well, maybe, it's, it's, oh, was I, was I supposed to take a left over there? It's like, now, now is the time to do. That's the point. That's the point. Okay. Um, so, so, Breshis. So, let me just begin with a teaching that, that, that came to me over Shabbos. I was kind of happy about this. So I want to share it with you. Okay. So, so Breshis. Breshis has a large letter base. The first letter of the Torah is a, is a, is a large letter base. And I was feel so privileged to to have learned this um, piece of Torah from Rabbi Wolfson in the name of the Chassam Sofer. And again, the Chassam Sofer is, is just one of these all-time great, amazing rabbis, like one of the greatest rabbis of the 1800s in, in Hungary, okay? And, and that whole region, and, and the whole world, really. And so, so this came through him, this Masorah, this tradition came through him, which is Meaning to say he received it and passed it on to us. So, when you have a large letter in the Torah, from a scribal standpoint, it's four times the size of a normal letter. And it's also four times the gematria of what that letter normally would have been. So, for instance, the letter Bez, that's the second letter of the alphabet. Um, so, So, Bez is the number two. And since this is a large base, it would be four times its normal gematria. So four times two is eight. So, so the first thing to notice from that is something just really very, very cool. Because when our, our mystical tradition is that God looked into the Torah and then created the world. That the Torah itself predated the world. So what, what does that mean exactly? Was there, before the world was created, was there some kind of giant Torah scroll floating around in outer space? Well, obviously not. And you can't even have outer space because the world hadn't been created yet. So you didn't have the, the fabric of time and space and, and place to to be able to, to to situate a Torah. So what does it mean that the Torah existed before the world existed? Right? So the answer is actually pretty straightforward. The answer is that God had an intention, a will for what He wanted to do with creation. In other words, before He set about to create the world, He had a design and a will to implement. And that design and that will which God had in mind to implement was the Torah before the world was created. In other words, the Torah is the will of God. And the will existed before the project became manifest. Is that clear? Is that clear? So that's what it means that the Torah existed, and the Talmud even tells you how long, 974 generations before the world was created. Okay? So, because the Torah was actually given in the 26th generation. So, 974 and 26 adds up to a thousand. I can't give you more on it than that, but that's, that's the math, at least. Um... So God's will for the world existed in the form of the Torah. That's what we say when we mean that the Torah was created or existed before the world existed. So now let's return back to the base of Rashis. So when you look at the Torah, that's a blueprint for the will for the world. Now let me make an important distinction, and then we're going to get back to the, the large base of Rashis in a moment. Don't make this mistake. Because this is actually, what I'm about to tell you is actually a heretical belief. This is heresy, what I'm about to tell you. Okay? So don't think this. Don't think, because a a lot of times we talk about how God saturates the entire world. That's true. God saturates all of existence. But don't make this mistake. Don't say that God equals the world, and the world equals God. That, believe it or not, is a different religion. Okay? God fills the entire world, and then exists dimensions and dimensions beyond the world. Okay? That's, that's the Jewish thought process. Okay? That's the Jewish belief. In fact, I don't even know if we can say dimensions beyond the world, because a dimension already has some sort of parameter around it. He's beyond that even. Like, for instance, just to, 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 to be a little bit more precise, when we talk about God being eternal, when we talk about eternity, right? God is above eternity, meaning to say eternity is the endless unfolding of time. But time itself has parameters around it. So God can't be eternal, because that means that God exists within the confines of time. God transcends time. So when we talk about eternity in the Torah sense, we're talking about beyond time. Okay? So again, God fills this world, but exists beyond this world. OK. Now the reason why I'm taking pains to specify that is because of the Bays of Braius, because what you see, what you see with the letter Bs is two thoughts simultaneously being communicated, which is really elegant and, and exciting, I think. The first thought is that the letter Bs," as we learned from this tradition from the Hasem Sofer is the number eight, right? Eight stands for what we say, what we call, lamala minateva, meaning to say, transcending nature. We know that the order of this world is seven, like seven days of the week. Eight represents the miraculous level, that which is beyond nature's parameters, the supernatural, if you will. That's the number eight. And in fact, just an interesting little twist I don't know that this has a Torah basis to it, by the way, but just an interesting thing, the mathematical symbol for infinity is actually the number eight on its side. So it just shows you that somehow this consciousness of the number eight, whether, whether intentionally or unintentionally, sort of like, sort of seeped through the minds and consciousness of, of the whole world, okay? But anyway, so what we see is, with, with, with the large bays That the first number of the Torah is eight. Meaning to say, that which is beyond nature, the supernatural, right? The infinite, if you will. So, God is introducing us to the the infinite nature of himself, in a way. Right? But at the same time, Beis is the number two. And this is the blueprint for this reality. This dimension that we inhabit. And as such, when you look at the Bayes as the number two, what you have set against the infinite canvas, simultaneously, what you have is this very limited sphere of duality. Because Bayes is on the one hand number eight, which is infinite. At the same time, strictly speaking, Bayes is number two which stands for the duality which exists in this world and the contours of this dimension, meaning to say good and evil, the spiritual and the material, heaven and earth, this world and the next, male and female. Right? All of these things sort of like define this world, life and death. All of these things are the most sort of like concrete um, distinctions that define the human condition. And so, so, so just to recap, just so that we're communicating, what you have in the first letter of the Torah is this amazingly detailed description of reality. You have the infinite canvas that the world is laid out against, in terms of the large base, the number eight, the infinite canvas, and then simultaneously, you have this notion of duality and the contours of the parameters of this dimension that we live in. Both being communicated simultaneously. Does everyone follow that? Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. All, all with one letter. All with one letter. We haven't even gotten to rishis yet. <laughs> We're just at the first letter of the Torah. When I say when I tell you that the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite, you can't even imagine how many levels are existing in the Torah. It's phenomenal. It's not a human work. It's not a book. Don't think the Torah is a book. It's not a book. It's the fabric of reality itself. So now I want to go into another teaching about Barathees. Now this one is, this one came to me over Shabbos, so, so that's the source. So, so now listen. When we say when we say Shema Israel, we cover our eyes, right? We go like this. We put our hand over our, our our eyes, and we say and we declare the oneness of God. Now, why why are we covering our eyes? Why are we closing our eyes? And I heard Rabbi Blech explain it in the following way: that basically we're 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 we're, we're Shielding ourselves or cutting cutting off, if you will, or or blinding ourselves to the superficial veil of reality, which is what our eyes receive and which speaks of multiplicity, meaning to say when we look with our eyes at the world, it seems like there are many powers and many, many forces, right? But when we close our eyes, we're able to go deeper and behind the initial visualization of the world, and we're able to tap into that which informs all of creation, the oneness of God. So do you hear? So we shut our eyes to the superficial appearance of reality, where it looks like there are many powers and many forces, and we tap into the oneness that informs all of creation. That's why we close our eyes when we declare the oneness of God, which is what Shema Yisrael is. The oneness of God, okay? Okay. So, that means behind everything in creation is really the oneness of God. Right? Now, with that in mind, let's look at the word brechis. This is the idea that came to me. So, again, let's add up the gematria of the word brechis with the tradition from the Qasim Sofer that, that, the, that the first letter, Beis, stands for eight right, is the number 8. So if you add it up with, with Bayes as the number 8, it comes to 919. Okay? So now there's a form of gematria called mispar where you continue to drill down, so to speak, and keep on adding the numbers until one digit is left. Okay? So let's make a column of numbers. 919. So let's add 9, 1, and 9. Okay? So 9 and 1 is ten, and nine is nineteen. Okay, so now we have a new number, nineteen. So now let's add those digits. We'll make a column, we'll put one and nine. One and nine is ten. Okay, now let's continue to drill down. One plus zero is one. So we see the Gematria of Reishis is the number one. (laughs) Meaning to say... All of creation, when you drill down to its essence, just yields the oneness of God. Rashi's itself, creation itself, is just this veil, this magnificent, magnificent, beautiful veil, but just a veil over the oneness of God, which permeates absolutely everything. And you see it in the Word itself. It's amazing, 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 amazing. Now, I want to get into a, just how to apply this, just how to apply this, because, again, this, if, if, it gets too, if it gets too intellectual, then it's no good, okay? It's always got to be the heart and the mind together. And Rev. Shlomo used to deride what he would call tree of knowledge information. Tree of knowledge information is just that which is just the exclusive domain of the head, you know but you have also tree of life stuff so it's got to be on the level of tree of life and um, and so so how do we apply this to our life so I want to tell you a story Um, and 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 it goes like this Rabbi Shlomo was on an airplane and he was sitting next to a Christian man and Reb Shlomo probably was learning, because that's what he did. And, uh, and the man starts asking him about the uh, Torah, and stuff like this. And so they shared a, 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 a flight together. And Reb Shlomo told him, I guess they were at the beginning, or he asked about it, that the word breishis, which is famously translated as, in the beginning. According to Rebbe Shemin Bar Yochai, Actually, means with beginnings. Be reshis means with beginnings. And so, so Reb Shlomo told this man that God created the world out of beginnings, meaning to say the fabric of existence itself is beginnings. That the word, in other words, that's that's not just a platitude like positive thinking, like everything like this. No, this is actually the reality of existence that the world itself is actually made out of beginnings. Every moment is an actual beginning. This is, this is an amazing thing. This is what the word breishi is, that God is coming to teach us, from the very opening of our lives. If you want to understand this world, if you want to understand your own life, you must understand that the world is literally made out of beginnings. Anyway, a period of time passed, I don't know how long, but this man suffered a, a big downturn in his business, and his life, and he decided that he was going to kill himself. And um, he was in his office, and he locked his door, and he took out a gun, and now he had sort of a, uh, a peculiar, peculiar question that he asked himself, which is, what do you do before you kill yourself? Like, I have a few moments, I guess, so what do I do in the time before I kill myself? So he decided that he was going to open a Bible. He had a Bible in his uh, office and he decided that he was going to open it. And he turns to the first page and it says, in the beginning. And he remembers the conversation that he had with Reb Shlomo on the airplane. That said, no, the whole world is made out of beginnings. And then he thought to himself, well, if the world's made out of beginnings, why don't I begin again right now? And he put the gun away. And this man contacted Reb Shlomo and this man started a spiritual community, invited Reb Shlomo, Reb Shlomo visited it, and he told he told Reb Shlomo this story. And then I heard it from Reb Shlomo directly. And and so I want to just build on this some more. I I I I did really well in algebra. I went to this school called Bronx Science, which was kinda of like this specialized school for like math and science. And um and I did so well at algebra that it actually ruined my math career <laughs> because they put they put me in Double Honors Geometry, which was like the top class with all these, you know, future like MIT professors, and I was the bottom student in the entire class and I I never I never opened another math book again. I was Definitely out of my league, you know? I mean, these people were naturally gifted mathematic students. And anyway, I, I was not in their company. But, but anyway, it was interesting to watch them uh, be really good at what they do. <laughs> but uh, I bring this up because I did learn one thing in this class that I still remember, which is that a solid line, if you draw a line, if you draw a line, it looks like a solid thing. And in fact, it's not a solid thing that a line is actually composed of an infinite number of discrete dots. Points, yeah. An infinite number of discrete points. But it appears to be a solid structure, which is a line. But that's not the case. That's not the case. And so that always made a big impression on me. And as I learned more about Torah and I learned more about Brechis, this, this this mathematical fact came to me again and again And I realize that there's a very, very deep teaching in it, which is the following. So often we view our lives as we're stuck in a particular path. Like I'm I'm stuck. And this can be on a a larger level in terms of the way we're living our lives, or this can be just something in the moment. So let me give you a very particular example. Imagine I'm dieting, and my willpower is really weak right now. And now I'm walking toward the freezer. And I go, oh, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe I'm going to... the I'm like, oh, I'm moments away from, you know, chocolate chip cookie dough, right? It's like, but I don't even want it, right? But, but I already walked toward the freezer, right? So again, that perception is, now that I'm walking toward the freezer, that I exist within this solid line, that I'm locked into this path. Yet, if you understand that a line is actually composed of discrete points, and that each point is not connected to the one in front of it, or the one behind it, then you realize that at any moment in your life, you can pivot and go into another direction. That there's no, there's no such thing as being stuck. There's no such thing as being stuck. At any moment, at any time, you can pivot and you can go in any direction. Let me tell you this teaching in in another way. Another way. Something that came to me one time. Which is a very very interesting incident when the Jews are traveling through the desert. We've left Egypt, we're on our way to Israel, and remember, in terms of the desert experience, those 40 years in the desert, that's a microcosm of each one of our lives, and also all of human history. And they say that we stopped 42 times, and those 42 stops, each one of us in our own lives, the Bal Shem Tov says, has 42 stops. Many parallels. But the idea is our desert experience stands for exile. And is a miniature of human history on the way to Israel, on the way to the ultimate redemption. So everything that happened in the desert has great relevance to us in the here and there. So at one point, God says to the Jewish people, we had now left Egypt. And this is before the Red Sea split. So it's in those first few days after we left Egypt. And we're heading, our backs are to Egypt. We're we're heading away from it, toward Mount Sinai. God all of a sudden gives a very perplexing command. He says, turn around and walk back toward Egypt. Now, in terms of the actual uh, event itself, what was happening... Was that we were giving the appearance to Paro that we were actually lost in the desert, that we had lost our way, and that was to basically coax him to come and attack us, and that was just all the build up and the setup for them coming into the Red Sea and the entire army getting wiped out. Okay, but nonetheless, all of a sudden Moses, from the Word of God, instructs us: turn around and start walking back toward Egypt. And we did it. We started walking back. And then God told us to turn back around again. Now, from this, I want to learn out the following point, which is that there are, that on some level, on a deeper level, what our fathers and mothers at that point gave to us, you and me to this day, was the ability to turn back around. That, in other words, in our lives, there will be moments where we just give in and we give up and we decide to walk back toward Egypt. And what they did was they built into our spiritual DNA the ability to be heading back toward Egypt and then to turn around and to write our course and to save ourselves. And that's in every single one of us, which is that that walk to the freezer moment. Just to give you the, 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 the simplest example the ability to actually turn around and to participate in the reality of the world, which is that it's made out of beginnings, and to write our course and to reassert our will of what we think is right. So, let me... Let me maybe share another thought, which is, truth truth is a really funny thing. It's a really scary thing. Most people, especially in today's uh, society, are are terrified by the notion of truth. We're terrified by it, because basically, those who have claimed to speak in the name of truth for the most part, have been insane mass murders. You know, t- truth has really gotten a lot of bad PR. You know, it's 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 but it's worth everyone asking themselves, just philosophically, theoretically, can you even begin to accept the idea that there may be a truth? Right, because I think that that's I. I think that that's where the discussion has to begin. Instead of someone saying, this is the truth, and then you saying, well, is it the truth? Maybe it's the truth, maybe it isn't the truth. And then a person has to work through it on their own, and that's valid and and necessary. But I think that there's a more crucial step before someone engages into an analysis whether something is in fact the truth or not. Which is the question, can something even be the truth? Is there even such a thing as the truth? Because we live in a society right now that has fundamentally changed over the course of history. It's become much more democratic. Normally speaking, the, the, in terms of history and government and everything like that, the normal order was monarchy. You had a king, or you had a very small circle of people ruling the country, right? Or even after uh, royalty and monarchies went away, you have a whole line of dictatorships, which is basically the same thing as a monarchy. And you have one person running the show. But then over the last couple of hundred years, this notion of democracy has, has spread throughout the whole world. And one of the, one of the ramifications of, of, a demo, of, a, of a democratic consciousness is that the truth doesn't rest with one individual. In other words, the truth is not a centralized concept, but rather it's something that's spread out, and that everyone has the truth, and everyone has their own truth, and that that, in fact, is, is the proper way that it should be. And, and this has not been a, um, a, a, a conscious thing, necessarily, but this is, this is the zeitgeist that we live in, right? But, so, so in this environment and especially the horrible track record we've had with people claiming to have the truth, there there are many, many reasons why even the concept that there could be a truth is very alienating and very scary. So, So what I would suggest to you is to consider for yourself, just on your own, could there be such a thing as the truth? Right? And when I look at the world... I actually see truth. I actually see one truth. Like, for instance, if I say, it's the truth that if I, you know, here on this planet anyway, if I drop this glass, it will fall on the ground and probably smash. And then you say, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. (laughs) Okay, Okay, but if it happens a thousand out of a thousand times, or a million out of a million times, at a certain point you've got to say, you know something? There is a truth to the fact that if I drop this glass onto this marble floor from the third story of the building, it's going to fall and it's going to smash. So that seems to be, there seems to be a certain truth to that, right? So. So, when you look at reality itself, when you look at, at, at the heavenly spheres, and the, the, the exquisite choreography of the planets, the, the exactness of it, if you look at the composition of, of nitrogen to oxygen in air, which allows us to breathe, you know, I mean, if you just reversed it, say, okay, so look, Maybe it's got to be 20, 72% of one and 21% of the other. So we'll switch it. We'll make it mostly, mostly one and not the other. Everyone would just choke on the spot. Everyone would suffocate on the spot. If you look at how detailed DNA is, right? I mean, so you say, so add some more X chromosomes, right? You'll be walking around with 10 feet. And then if you take it down to the subatomic level, what's going on in terms of atoms and and, and the, 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 the subdivisions of the atom? Everything in the world is exceedingly exact. There would appear to be a truth to the world. In a very compelling way. There would appear to be that truth. And you say, well, no, but I want everything to be equal. I want everything to be equal and everyone to be right. That's what I want. But you know, and I don't know if this is going to mean anything to you. But I was just thinking about it lately. Because it seems really weird, but it's true. Have you ever seen a queen bee? Do you know what a queen bee is? You've got like this hive. And you've got like a lot of bees. But there's one bee that's like, I don't know. Like much larger than the other bees. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen pictures of a queen bee? They're really big. I don't know how big. I never saw one in person, but they look to be the size of a a, a small fist, you know, or a baby's fist anyway, or I don't know. I never saw one up close, but they're much larger than the other bees. It's just another type of bee. And you say, "Well, look, I've seen thousands of bees." How could there be another type of bee? There can only be one type of bee, because I've seen a lot of bees. But then you say, oh, there is another type of bee. (laughs) Well, Why is that? All bees should be equal. (laughs) Every bee should be equal. I protest the existence of the queen bee. And yet, there you see it. So, it's not, reality itself doesn't always conform to our desire for what it should be. There are all these quirks and and weird things built into reality, and so and so. Let me just conclude with with this idea of brachios again. It's a teaching that, that that excites me and inspires me. So, you know. It says, the Medresh brings, that God put his stamp of truth on, on reality. And as an illustration of that, they point out that the last three letters of the first three words of the Torah, Breshis, Barah, Elohim, if you look at the last three letters of Breshis, Barah, Elohim, that it's the last three letters spell out the word Emes, which means truth. So, God opens up the Torah with the word truth being hinted at. But you want to hear something weird? The word truth is spelt out of order. Breshis ends with ta. Vara ends with Aleph. And Elohim ends with Mem. So, here's my question. If God really wanted to open up the, the world with the stamp of truth, why didn't he spell it in the right order? Especially since The sages make a big deal out of the fact that the word MS, Aleph, Mem, Tuf, is the first letter of the alphabet, the last letter of the alphabet, and the middle letter of the alphabet. Aleph is the first, Mem is the middle, tuf is the end. So that the word MS, if anything is true, it has to be true for all time. It has to scan the entire spectrum of truth in order for something to be true. And that's reflected in the spelling of the word itself. So, why open the, word, the, the Torah with the word truth spelled out of order? Okay. So, so, we say that there's going to be 7,000 years of existence. And we're just finishing up the 6,000th year. We're getting toward the very end of the 6,000th year. And that parallels the seven days of creation. And the 7,000th year. That 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 year is called the Zmanatikum, the, the time of fixing, the, the the time when creation itself actually culminates and finishes. That we're actually in the process of the world still being created. And that's why we're here. We're partners with God in terms of finishing up the world. Okay? So so the messianic year is called the day that will be all Shabbos. That's the seven thousandth year period. And that correlates with the seventh day of of creation, which was the first Sabbath. Okay. So at the end of that period, if you look in the Torah, and you look at the end of the account of the seventh day, the last three words are bara elohim la Sos. That's the end of the seventh day. So in other words, in terms of this microcosm form of the seven days equal in human history, if you look at the last three words, that correlates with the end of, of the story of creation. So now let's look at the last three letters of, of, of those words. Okay? And this is on page 10, the end of that first paragraph. It's bara Elohim Laasos. The last three letters are Aleph, Mem, Tuf, which spells the word ms Truth, In its proper order. And to me, that just says it all. To me, that says it all. It talks about the nature of this world and the confusing nature of this world, and it also talks about why we're here and what our job is. Because basically, God did implant truth from the very moment of creation, He really did. But it's spelled out of order. Our job, basically, is to reveal the actual truth that God implanted in the world and to reveal that. And that's what the Torah is for. That's, that's what it's here for. That's the blueprint. That's the will of God that He had, the design, the divine design that He had before He even set about to create the world. He had that blueprint and that order in mind before He even created the world. And that's what the world is going to go back to that that ultimate revealed structure is going to become apparent and that's going to be this monoticum that will be the revelation of God's oneness in the entire world and that's what we're laboring toward and that's what we're working toward and that's what's going to happen that's what's destined it's in the, it's in the blueprint already it's here already it's going to happen and and the only question is like they say in cop shows We can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. (laughs) Either way, it's going to happen. Either way, it's going to happen. But we have this awesome opportunity by just loving each other. By loving each other. By being good to each other. By caring for each other. By going out of our way for each other. In order to make this oneness of God manifest more quickly. And so God should bless us that as we start this new year, that we should be filled with energy and with vision, and with success.